So, Mackenzie is wearing a shirt that I want today. Uh, what if we got matching shirts and got then we just wore bird. them It's a very together. soft bird shirt. I know. It looks soft. I'm jealous. You know, there's a range of t-shirt softness. Our bird conspiracy convo led us to the birds with Tippy Hedren and how freaky it is. So, Mackenzie's wearing a t-shirt that says birds aren't real on the front. They ain't. And it has a bird on the back. Fake bird. And I asked her if she knew where that came from, and she said no. So I was explaining that there were posters put up (laughs) that said that birds are fake and that they're being used for government surveillance. I buy it. And that Reagan killed all the birds, I think, in 1988, but I wasn't super paying attention. We don't know when Reagan committed birdicide, but according to one poster on the avian massacre i just thought i was buying a sick bird shirt with no backstory which you know i'm fine with either version of of that narrative i think my stance on whether birds are real or not is that the fact that birds are basically dinosaurs is weird enough yeah what's up with their foot skin i mean uh, yeah feathers crazy hollow bones kooky but their foot skin's all lumpy and they're not even reptiles but you know what we all came from the same place. A bird egg. A government facility. Hey! <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to our bird conversation. Welcome to Exceedingly Persuasive, oh, where we discuss it. birds. I am Mackenzie Brennan. I am Brooke Rogers. Thank you for listening. So I hear. Oh, so this week there were two, three attacks. Three uh, mass shootings. Yeah, between, I guess over the last week, we had the Garlic Festival. It's crazy that that is out of our span of memory right now. Yeah, and then Saturday, there was a a shooting in El Paso that killed 19 people, 20 people now, I believe. It's probably a a a fluid number, because I know some folks are still in critical condition, so. And then on Sunday, there was a shooting in Dayton, Ohio, that killed... I believe nine at least. So we're not we're not going to talk about that this week because this week we want to do our homework on this one and and give you a a good deep dive. We're going to dig deep on gun rights and gun control and the Second Amendment and in the history of mass shootings and, and try to give you fires it how to fix it and what the hell is happening. We're going to try to just give you a, a rundown next week, um, but we wanted to acknowledge that that happened so you didn't think we were ignoring it, uh, but that's going to be a, a, a bit of more of a deep dive next week. Also, this week we're going to talk about um, a listener suggestion. Brooke and I had been watching the the last set of debates together, and we got a lot of awesome listener questions, and we'll get more into that towards the end of this episode. Shayna had asked about Tulsi, Gabbard, Gabbard, I think it's Gabbard, and she 
didn't know about some of Tulsi's uh, anti-LGBTQIA, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, history, and said, boy, I wish I had a source for knowing the good and bad about candidates before I get invested, because she's talking about how she's a, a first-generation student, and she didn't really have this kind of insight from any other source. So we're like, hey, this is what we do. Let's dedicate some time to our relatively subjective, but also based in fact, review of the pros and cons, highlights, lowlights, skeletons in the well-known but not well-covered closets of some of these candidates, especially the front runners. So that'll be what we do today. If you want to get a really good rundown of Tulsi Gabbard, there was a great feature done by The New Yorker called What Does Tulsi Gabbard Believe? And it gets into her background. She was raised in kind of a cult-ish church that was sort of Hare Krishna, sort Mm -hmm. of an offshoot of uh, Hinduism. And she was raised in that church. She still semi is involved, I believe, but also sort of separated herself from it. I mean, she's still, she's still, I think she's Hindu. I I knew that she was Hindu. I didn't, before you told me, I didn't know about this weird cultish background. And so, you know, you got to have some empathy for people learning at their own pace when they've been given. And she was homeschooled, which I have, I I was also homeschooled until I was 16 and started going to college. And so she, I, I understand she was homeschooled for a long time too. You are very isolated and in many ways you, uh, develop a lot of your opinions later that most people develop in or you don't in high school or you don't. I mean, you're lucky that you did, and and I think credit to her also that she did. But my main gripe with her was that that came, in my opinion, later. I wish that that revelation for somebody who was a politician, pretty close to when she held those views. I think she held those views at least during her first race. I remember when. My mom and I went to Hawaii after my dad died. That was she was running for office and I was 19 then. So, and that was at least her first run, maybe her second, mm-hmm. and that was still an anti-LGBT thing. So, it's like, okay, I'm thinking this is less than a decade ago that I right. was seeing that. And her another thing that most people don't know is that her father was actually also involved in local politics. Huh. And he was he had anti-LGBT views, and that sort of informed us as well. So not a defense not of that. Not such an accident, maybe. I don't know. But she definitely kind of an incubator of a childhood. So there, if you, if you are really interested in Tulsi Gabbard, what does Tulsi Gabbard believe? A 2017 feature done by The New Yorker was so eye-opening and enlightening Hmm. and i think for me her most problematic views are her 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 openness to (laughs) negotiating with assad and her semi skepticism that he may or may not have killed a bunch of his people which (laughs) in practice her most radical views in either direction seem to be very problematic ones in my opinion i think there's that one that's that's very upsetting in wake of the Mueller report on Russian interference she said we just got to move on and that was including about the Russian interference piece and I just I don't really understand where her less democratic positions are coming from and I don't think she has enough policy justification to explain why she's erring so far right on why the things she's that so matter. skeptical I think yeah it, uh, you know there is healthy skepticism is good yeah. and I think that questioning 
you know, what you're told is good, except when you also ignore a, a ton of evidence. Yeah, once you're contrary. doing it for no reason and without being informed, kind of like willful ignorance, Absolutely. that's that's when it, it gets to be dismissible for me. And I think, yeah. I think we can kind of recap her right now so we got those but, I mean, she was the person and, we were asked about so yeah we might as well get to her first we'll get to uh, uh, the other candidates in a second so but. my my summary is that she's too anti-lgbtq for and anti a lot of things that the left should and does agree with so she's kind of pro-assad she's kind of anti spending too much time on Russian interference, anti-LGBTQ way too recently and within her adult life and within, you know, being informed in the public eye as somebody running for office to appease a lot of even moderate Democrats. And then I think she's too, for better or worse, Hindu woman for Republicans. So I don't know that her appeal would really cross into either party. And I think her polling is demonstrating that that's not really... I just don't know what happening. her message is when it comes down to it. I think for me, she's in the army. That's it. Really quick, right off the top, we wanted to clarify. I'm a political yes. writer. Kenzie's a lawyer. We are not endorsing any candidates. We are not asking anyone to fundraise for any candidates. We are not. Um, we we want to give a, a a a pro and con of what the average American might. And, and for me, it's more of, it's not even pro and con, it's these are what sticks out to me about these people. Sure, that's a good way of putting it. But we are not endorsing candidates. We're just giving our personal analysis of what the situation is. Yeah, so this is, if you're going to take anything away from what I say, please don't impute this to the position that I hold or my job or to my judge. I'm speaking solely in an individual capacity, and I have to say this because I'm not allowed to endorse anybody and I'm certainly I cannot solicit fundraising for any particular candidate or cause so please hear that I am not doing that and with that we'll go from there I I will say that this is it's kind of a fun exercise because I think Brooke and I are are both undecided as of yet for me I'm kind of excited to delve into this because I'm still open to a lot of candidates and Brooke and I come from very different backgrounds politically. Uh, Brooke mm-hmm. was raised conservative. I was raised pretty liberal. And both of us had exposure through our families to the other side, or at least to conservatism. Right. Um, but I certainly have always had a, a more liberal leaning. And Brooke is coming at this primary as somebody who was always relatively skeptical of the Democratic Party. I'm coming as somebody inculcated. So it's uh, we'll see how both of us develop through this, too. Yeah, yeah, this is just our analysis of what we think of the candidates and what we've seen about them and give you a little bit more detail for you to make your own choice. But again, we're not endorsing anyone. So Absolutely. with that, yeah, we, we talked a little about, about Tulsi. So I think Tulsi, yeah. yeah. I think for me, again, the, the biggest thing is that I just don't know what she's bringing to the table in... Uh, in a field this big, and that, that I, I feel and that's that way a big factor for a lot of folks. I yeah. feel that way about a lot of candidates in this race. It's such a big field, and if you are going to run in 2020, you got to earn it. You have to show that you're offering the American people something that hasn't isn't just a talking point that's been repeated over and over again. Yeah. And uh, with Tulsi and, and many other candidates in this race, I just don't see her bringing anything special to the table. Yeah, I think you have to be uh, the best or almost the best at a lot of things, at almost everything. And you think of every primary that we've experienced 
virtually nobody does that even in a field of two or three. Right. So we'll say up front, we're going to lop off a lot of the generic white male candidates who are polling very low, seem to offer very similar milk toast, moderate solutions, but more the same. And honestly, if you're going for old white dude milk toast, you got Biden. So I don't dislike any of these candidates per se, uh, but... John Hickenlooper, Jay Inslee, they both are are good dudes, it seems, but they're simply not the people who will win in the current Yeah, I think Jay Inslee is probably vying for a position in the I think that'd be great. That would be wonderful. That would be better than somebody who actively has opposed the existence of climate change, which is who Trump appointed. Hey, anything's a step up, and I think Inslee, that's his pet issue. And that's another flaw that I think permeates a lot of the candidates, is they have one issue or maybe two issues that they're really strong on, and that's what they focus on. And so... If they're but, very good at this one thing, everything else kind of, especially in debate settings when you have two minutes collectively, mm-hmm. essentially, they get to sound very good because they get to talk about the one thing that they're good at. Right. But if again, it's if, a field. if your pet issue doesn't resonate with the majority of mm-hmm. Democratic voters and then, you know, in the general, the majority of Americans... It, it, it doesn't matter. And I think uh, it, that, that also brings up how many of these candidates are just running for a cabinet position. But also on top of the whole resonance thing, I think there's the practicality piece that even back in 2016, I felt with Bernie that he focused so much on domestic issues. And maybe this could be a good segue into Bernie conversations that his focus was so much on domestic issues and his points really did resonate in a in a real way and in a practical way with people and with policymakers. But I got very little from him on foreign policy, which is a huge facet that maybe isn't as resonant because people don't understand it, which is fair. But in, in the way of thinking that I don't want to want to get a beer with these people, except Liz, because we have the same favorite beer. But I want to feel so intimidated that they know so much more than I do and that they can inform me on what the concerns are. Not in a way that's pedantic or, like, subverting, but right. I want to feel intimidated by how you much better your, they are. You want your president to be a lot smarter than you uh, are. Yeah. I and I don't good. feel that I think it's with a good lot and normal. So, I, I, really I don't know quick, if normal. <laughs> I want to talk about why we chose to talk about the, the candidates we're Ooh. going to discuss tonight. I went to Real Clear Politics to dig up the poll averages on the candidates. Uh, I love Real Clear Politics because they take the average of the last four major polls and combine them so you can see kind of where each candidate sits. Again, polling, especially this early out, is it's not always super accurate. And as we learned from 2016, hmm. it may not even have bearing on who is actually elected. So take especially it with a grain of salt. when factors like bigotry are at play, I think that really affects what people will say out loud versus what they do in the voting booth but i um, think these are these are great and it sounds like the ones that that brooke is sourcing here through real clear politics are recent the last one was from two days ago so the economist one was actually from it was released today the quinnipiac great. one was released yesterday and then i believe politico and harvard harris were the couple days before so this so, is fresh as today's headlines at least as of the headlines when we are recording right so the average uh biden is leading the pack by 15 points <laughs> followed by Bernie and Warren. So Biden is at 31% favorability. I believe that they are pulling uh, among Democratic or Democratic-leaning voters because that's all that really makes sense in a primary. Right, um, the and other it's favorability. aren't voting. So uh, Biden is pulling at 31%. 
Sanders is 15.8%, and Liz Warren is right behind him at 15.5%. Harris is 8.3%, and Buttigieg is 5.5%. After that, you kind of get a jump. Everyone else kind of falls off the map a bit, and especially when you're considering, like, standard deviation and margin of error. I don't know how much. Everybody else is around. So Beto's at 2.5, Booker's at 2.3, and then Yang's at 1.5, which is funny to me that Yang is actually ahead of a lot of the pack, which I did not see Yang, interestingly, I think his one pet issue, and he's another one who I think has the soundbite issue, and he's very good at that. He's a businessman and lawyer. He's really Um, into tech. He's really good at Twitter. I think that... His pet issue, he's very strong on, and I think it's very reasonable what he has to say. The but, universal basic income. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. He's got that, and I, I don't know if his anti-circumcision platform was just for clicks or, uh, you know, the shock he, value of headlines. It's like, because what the heck, it, it man? trended on Twitter. That's, exactly. that's not even one of his main talking points. Do you know any of the other candidates' positions on circumcision? It's the most bizarre thing have for a non-physician to have an open platform Have you on. seen Yang's policy page? Yeah, and it's, it's, like, it's got like 30 policies on it. And I that, know, and, and I know. And circumcision is one of but them. But still, I, I think that it's relevant that it made the board. And I, I, I feel like it's probably strategic. And I think that there's some credit to be given to that because it is trending. And how else is somebody who's a non-politician and uh, no name recognition going to get their name out there? There's something to be said for that. But let me say here, and this applies to any anti-circumcision argument. I used to work for the um, Center for HIV Law and Policy. According to the World Health Organization, circumcision in men has a 60 to 70 percent rate of prevention for HIV transmission between men. So that is a contraceptive level prevention percentage. Anybody who argues for anything else is deluding themselves about the reality of the issue. Anyways, that said... Well, also, there's a lot of religious liberty aspect to this, too, because, you know, a huge, a huge portion of Jewish belief is circumcision. So if you if you mm, ban circumcision point. in the U.S., first of all, it's going to go to courts immediately. And, w- and so I want to say that anybody who thinks that that's like a throwaway line and we'll get to this on a couple of candidates who who have these kind of splash across the headlines sort of positions. I think Marianne Williamson is the other big one. It's not harmless. And so when you look at something that on a global and national scale is harmful, like anti-circumcision, for that to be a position in his platform that we know before anything else is uh, bizarre. No, absolutely. Well, we can move on from Yang. (laughs) Without further ado, let's get to the frontrunner, Joe Biden. Uh, Joe Mm -hmm. Biden, former vice president, former senator. I think that former lots of stuff, man. What a lot of people who support him, I think what they'd say his pros are is electability and experience. And kind of the lesser of X number of evils. That he's a safe bet. We know what we're getting. We've known for a while. Maybe it's not the best, but especially when a lot of us are still reeling from Trump winning, we want somebody who can be kind of aggressive, but also can win over independence, which who knows how much of an impact that'll have. I, I have no idea. I don't trust anything, any calculus now. It's amazing to me how many people I talked to after 2016 who said, you know, women and people who are very strong feminists and people who are you know lifelong Democrats and progressives who said, give me a safe white man in 2020 
so that right. we beat Trump. That, that was a, that was a, an opinion that a lot of people had, and I think that people are factoring that in. That's a good And that's point. why that's Joe Biden is polling so far ahead. He's a safe white man, and when you think of the power of celebrity, which definitely is is the thing that Trump capitalizes on, and we've seen such an uptick in celebrities thinking that without any experience or, or willingness to even learn policy, because that's one thing that I'll say of Buttigieg, particularly, that stands out, that, okay, he's young, and with youth comes a lack of experience, potentially, but the willingness to learn and a demonstration of that is so important. And I think those two things are conflated a lot. No, absolutely. And in celebrity cases, you don't really see that willingness. It's just, I can do the sound bites and I have name recognition. Long story short, too late, I think Biden has the name recognition that can rival Trump. And I think that's a little bit what Bernie has, but it's it's a nice smile. It's a recognizable Uncle Joe factor. People feel safe electing Joe Biden. People know that he's he's kind he's more moderate than the other candidates. He's more centrist. They it's not going to shake things up. And if you're and if he's you're willing a, to change enough. I mean, he was anti Anita Hill in the Clarence Thomas hearings and now he has openly agreed that that was wrong. So he's he he's changed his vision on the Hyde enough. amendment. Yes. He, which he, was he a fe- yeah, so it was a federal bill that um has been passed and this is an ironic piece of a lot of arguments against funding abortion and taxpayer money going to abortion that's already not allowed the Hyde amendment was eh, 90 something i want to say and it prevented any federal money from going to abortion so even if facilities benefit from funds it cannot go directly to the procedures or providers of the procedure in an individual sense biden was pro that honestly a lot of men were i i guess and we, we also have to we know have to be that careful of of what compass we use on past things i think with a lot of issues like criminal justice yeah and, and i'll and i'll get into that a little bit uh but it's i think with with the Hyde amendment specifically to to be anti-federal funding of abortion was a pretty mainstream democratic position i think it was a pretty mainstream position in the white male centrist Democratic Party of the nineties, right? So the so the mainstream Democratic position, that, yeah. But I you think know, like the, the people who were now representative were um, a lot more progressive, and so to say Democratic, it, both parties have shifted to uh, a much more radical posture, and I think that'll come into play with with things like criminal justice. I think it came into play with um, gay marriage and DOMA things like that. That there was a more acceptable bigotry or eye shutting and frankly circumstances that it was a prosperous time a lot of these things weren't under threat roe had been comfortable for a while uh we had a democratic president for years, a while yeah. so these things weren't threatened and i think when there's a generation of people that comes of age when things aren't threatened you god forbid get a little comfortable and so the policies aren't as radical in either direction so i don't know what that no, means absolutely but, but this is a good segue into the crime bill which i don't actually know too much about so hit me so the 1994 crime bill which is kind of the crux of a lot of our terrible criminal justice policies today federal yeah federal policies one of the major tenets of it was mandatory minimums for mm-hmm. you know a lot of the violent crimes it also furthered the the war on drugs things like making the the punishment for crack cocaine different from and that's cocaine. an interesting case study too because that was another case i know we've in the past touched briefly on this with 9-11 that when something drastic and terrible happens a lot of times policymakers 
being that they are not themselves experts in medicine or prescribing or in the 9-11 context, they're not like foreign policy experts, right. although they should be more that than anything. Um, you can kind of, between that and national frenzy and wanting to get reelected, a lot of these really drastic things get passed without a lot of input from people who would know what is effective. And that, that was true crack cocaine with as well. making a distinction between crack cocaine and powder cocaine. Yeah. Crack cocaine was more often attributed to a people divide. of color. Absolutely. Whereas powder cocaine was a drug that rich white yeah. people on Wall Street used. I did hear about a there, okay, so there was I guess a I think he was black. He was a young I wanna say he was gonna be playing basketball at Duke. He died, and they believed the overdose was from crack cocaine. And so that was really the national frenzy that spurred a lot of the anti-crack cocaine legislation. They didn't realize at the time, because everybody was so stupid, and it was so early in the advent of a lot of these things, that the chemical composition was the same of the two. And so they passed a lot of these bills. It ended up that he hadn't even done crack cocaine. He had done cocaine standard. I don't know. Yeah. Cocaine light, as we like to call it. So it, it didn't end up being accurate, but it, it's that kind of frenzied legislation. So and there are a lot clear, of things. And to be clear, during the '90s, crime was so bad that there was a national rallying cry yeah. for cross racial too, for uh, being being harder on crime and and for law and order. Because it but was hurting everybody. I mean, it, it was, was hurting, hurting everybody of color as well. So he was a champion of the 1994 crime bill. The problem with the bill that was passed is that instead of dealing with the root causes of crime, which are so often poverty and lack of access to opportunity and lack of access to education, movie, work, education, yeah, upward mobility. Up, instead of dealing with those problems, what the 1994 crime bill did was made a focus on uh, retributive justice versus mm. rehabilitative justice. And I think that the problem with that is that so now now Joe Biden, in July, he released a policy that would actually reform a lot of the effects of the 994 crime bill. And I well, I appreciate the gesture. And I will talk about this with Kamala Harris as well. When you promote policies like uh, tough on crime policies, you're not just affecting one generation of people. You are affecting multiple generations. It's, it's and unless the new action is retroactive, it, it, it's only forward looking. So unless you were to expunge those things from people's records, which is a much more sweeping and labor intensive, and even gesture, if you ex- <laughs> even if you expunge someone's record, you can never give them the years of their right. life back. And when you when you lock up people's fathers and mothers. You can't give that's them. That's a generation. That's, that's a family. A, you yeah. can never give them those years with their mothers and fathers back. You and can we'll, never repair those homes. And those children are affected by that. The c- whole communities are affected by that. So even though I, I will give Biden props for at least trying to make yeah. amends to an extent. And I think he's I done think that on that a lot of stuff, he has, he has tried to. He has tried to you know, change his tune on a lot of things. And I, I, I give him credit for that. But ultimately, when it comes down to something like increasing punishment for crime, and locking people up for years and years, establishing mandatory minimums, you are not again. You are not. It's a it's a multi generational issue. You you can never give that back to people. You can never go back and rep- fully repair the damage you've done. And right. that's the problem that I have is that. And I I think that it's important that he is making progress. And like we've talked about with the Me Too issues, mm-hmm. it's it's important not to demonize progress. But when the field is so broad and there are better versions of the same, let me say, if Biden wins. 
I, you know, I'll probably grit my teeth for a bit, but I will advocate like hell for him when general election time comes. So uh, I'll qualify that and say that progress is good. And, and certainly jail time and mandatory minimums, there are effective reasons for their existence. I'm, mandatory minimums and mandatory sentencing brackets, which is what they... Minimum is just one end of the bracket. Right. It helps enforce equal application of laws on a national scale, which otherwise there would be complete discretion to people who now are mostly appointed by Trump. So when you look at the number of federal judges that Trump has appointed, for example, and federal judges are the ones who are sentencing federal crimes, if they had complete discretion, they could low sentence the cocaine crimes, high sentence the crack cocaine crimes, they could apply different standards to marijuana because there are no brackets for them. And I do see the point. I mean, we and same we've with talked rape, many times which is about another polarized is, sentencing issue. That's, yeah, that's, so, what, that's yeah. what I was going with that. Is we talked so often about judges giving light sentences to people who are men who are convicted of rape and how Our that good reflects boys and good on students. Yeah, and I mean, and part of the problem is that we have such a focus on carceral punishment, and part of the problem is that yeah. our, our whole culture and it's money. The only way that our that many victims can pursue justice is through a carceral system, which oftentimes doesn't actually it's, help them in yeah, any it's certainly legitimate not way. Rehabilitative, and it, this will if we get to De Blasio, because maybe the only thing better than giving him criticism time is giving him no time but he certainly did the same thing in Brooklyn by setting up gun courts which were supposed to be a, an expedited process to to lock people up kind of summarily for gun possession full stop end mm-hmm. of story and it was intended to get guns off the street but what it has done is disproportionately target young men of color in Brooklyn and give them no route to rehabilitation or freedom. And especially if they're repeat offenders, which in a lot of these communities, the young men say that they feel that their only route to safety is possession of a gun. So now both the police and the communities hate de Blasio. So that was his solution and see how that worked. It's a it's a very similar solution. But let's move yeah, we, on. Yeah, we sort of talk about the pros and cons of Biden. You know, he, is, he has experience. Yeah. But honestly, I don't see anything extremely exciting about him mm, when he mm-hmm. discusses things like class and the environment. And I think that's his appeal. He's not it? offering anything new. But I... It's, it's that electability factor. This it's, is actually a good transfer into into Bernie because he is the next. He and Liz Warren are neck and neck, but he mm. he is polling slightly better than she is. Bernie, I got a gripe about Bernie that I'd like to get on my soapbox about. Oh, I'm sure you, and we will give you that time. Mm. So Bernie has been talking about class since he entered politics, and I think this is one of the reasons why he resonates with so many people. This is one of the reasons why in the primaries he won Wisconsin. This is why he has yeah. he has legitimate appeal on both sides is because the issues with class and the issues with income and income inequality, you know, where we've gotten to with crony capitalism in our society and, and how many people are disadvantaged and disenfranchised is a legitimate issue. And, and Trump tapped into that anger. And with his, without solution, but without solution, with a lot he, of lip service. A lot of people resonated with Trump's racist rhetoric about 
you know, immigrants coming in and taking people's jobs, and this is why you're this is why you're disadvantaged is because it's the same bottom line in a weird sense. It's it's their fault rather than here's a solution. But it's the bottom line is you don't have this thing, and here's you don't a have way to, to offer to his solution. Feel was, better about it. We're gonna put up a wall. These people are gonna stop it. coming over, and then you're we're gonna go back to the eight eight nineteen like the industrial 80s. revolution. Yeah, when you talk about great. quote unquote making America great again, I think that in what people associate Trump with is the nineteen eighties. It's it was a decade of wealth and prosperity, and and people you know just exuberance, Sleazy and, white dudes, and, and neon. Everyone thought that they could have that if they just worked hard enough, and then the solution that Trump gave was that. He was going to put up a wall, and the real problem, which was people coming over and quote unquote taking your jobs, is going to be fixed. It's but, the renewal of the the Reagan era prosperity gospel idea. No, absolutely, like the religious right and religious right that is very into money. But but I think that a lot of people who understood that that wasn't doable anymore under the current system of crony capitalism. They and I, I specifically say crony because I think that free markets can work if we don't have such a unholy marriage between government mm-hmm. and big corporations. Well, ironically, this could be the whole you see like the liberal check on a lot of industries like Netflix in Atlanta or mm-hmm. now today like Soul Cycle's CEO was gonna do a Trump fundraiser and people are shutting him down. In no, a absolutely. weird way, capitalism might be the check on conservatism that conservatives wouldn't have wanted. Bernie he understood what where most people's anxieties were based which and I is think his pet in, issue aligns with them too he has been doing this for for decades on decades he has that he has that point of integrity where I, a long time ago i was doing a, an investigative piece that required me to look through a lot of bernie's history and one thing that stood out to me is that you know since since the 70s and 80s when he first started getting into politics the, the majority of his base weren't even born when he started oh, talking yeah. about this yeah. stuff and he he has been talking about these problems for such a long time that people looked at him and said he's not a flip-flopper he's not someone who's just bringing this up now he has truly believed this for for decades and that's mm-hmm. what drew a lot of people to him he was talking about things that mattered to them class and and minimum wage and and healthcare, which is a huge Access issue. To health, education, and prosperity, I think. And he, if we really look at what he's done, he has moved the entire discussion to the left. In yeah, 2016... He started... If you look at him and Biden as people who have been in the field for a long time, Biden has gotten more progressive. Bernie has been progressive and I think moved the needle in that direction. He was the first one to talk about ways. Medicare for all. He was the first one to talk about a $15 minimum wage. He was the first one to talk about a lot of the issues that people who were raised under the Great Recession and saw the bailout of banks and thought that that was the height of... Absurd. Abs- yeah. yeah, that was absurd in the height of corruption and the height and of... And not fixed. Not really... It's didn't do anything. And, no. and then those people, the, you know, the banks were never held accountable. And for a lot of people who came of age during the Great Recession, that was unfair. And he talked about that. And so I think that, you know, the stuff that Bernie was talking about in 2016 is the stuff that the entire Democratic It's still, it's consistent. Race because is talking it's not, about now. Yeah, because it's not fixed on a national scale. And especially for a lot of, uh, you know, middle class and middle of the road politically folks, it, it's not... It has not gone away because it hasn't been fixed. The things that bothered me about Bernie in 2016 are still the gripes that I have with him now. And ironically, I think we've mentioned this in the past once, despite the fact that 
Bernie and Joe Biden are divergent in many ways in terms of their policy and, and certainly their history. Bernie and Biden both don't impress me in terms of their commitment to women's issues. And, you know, there's one thing to be said for policy differentiation, but when it comes down to equal protection of the law, and that's what you're willing to fudge on. Because there's certainly an argument to be made for, okay, let's keep this neutral-ish because X won't get passed in this climate. So let's compromise on the way that we provide health care for everybody, or let's try to reach across the aisle in terms of how we make education accessible. Let's have those conversations. Those are policy-based, and access to money or level of education, that's not an immutable characteristic. Mm -hmm. But things like gender and race and sexual orientation, those are immutable characteristics. It comes down to me besides the personal investment to an equal protection issue and to a lack of equal protection dedication. Bernie last year campaigned for an openly anti-abortion candidate and acknowledged that and said that he hoped that he got elected. And he also said that reproductive rights are not a litmus test for him for any democratic platform or candidate. And that, to me, then what is a litmus test for you? Is if women's rights are not sufficient for you, and this was recent, I mean, this is in the last two years that he's said and done both of these things. To me, women's rights are not a policy issue. It is an unquestionable tenet, especially in this time and place. And the fact that voters tend to agree with keeping Roe. I know the majority of Americans at least up to, I think, the first or second trimester, believe Like, viability that, idea. Yeah. Right. I think the majority of Americans don't want Roe overturned, and even though they think that there should be regulations on abortion, they don't think that abortion should be banned entirely. That's right. the majority of Americans' So opinion. the majority of Americans support Roe in general and the restrictions that we have in place already and the rights that we have in place already. It was something like only 8% of Republicans would be swayed by... A candidate's position on abortion and 30% of Democrats think that it is imperative to protect the rights. So there really is nothing to even gain from saying that it's not a litmus test. So between the lack of prioritizing and not even needing to not prioritize it, yeah. to me that I know he had some problems today is not worth it so I understand where that where that wariness comes from I think for me uh, as someone who is is generally skeptical of government having too much power I th- it's more of a an anti-authoritarian stance and I think that's my biggest con with with people like um and yet a lot of the progressives require a, a good deal of government intervention in a way that I agree with so I don't even say this to cast dispersions but Something like government-provided health care requires a lot of government oversight. So I think that No, and you, I'm pro-universal health care. Yeah, because so you kind of take both together. With, it's, I take it issue by issue. When it comes to things like Medicare for All, which almost every frontrunner has co-signed onto Bernie's Medicare for All bill. And in bill. fact, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, I found this out today, she wrote, she helped write his bill. Really? So she actually helped write his plan, which I was impressed by because she has not been at the forefront of my mind in a lot of things. And I think I had texted you the other night. And she didn't campaign on that very no. much. She hasn't really been very vocal about no, that. No. interesting. And that was, I think that's the thing with a lot of her issues. Because when I texted you the other night, we both didn't know. I was like, oh, dang, she, I guess, spearheaded the 9-11 first responders bill twice, both times yeah. that it was signed. And she also 
spearheaded the repeal of Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So, yeah, credit where it's due. Honestly, though, that, what that makes me think is why aren't you running on those things? Why aren't you being more vocal about that? I guess why she are is, you but it's just so quiet because there's so many voices. She's not very good at, and also, yeah. this is, uh, what really bothers me about Gillibrand is that, A, she's not running on those really yeah. heavy policy issues that she could possibly... Like you could really sell those. Yeah, you could sell those. And she is doing ads with, like, Julianne Moore <laughs> and other other. She's really trying to work names. the celebrity thing. And I'm like, that's, honestly, that's not your that strongest. was a huge detriment to Hillary in 2016, I felt like, because people see that and, they're, and, and their thought process is not, you care about me as a regular person. And it's, it's not enough celebrity to actually buy it, you know? It, like, if you see this kind of random woman standing next to a celebrity, that on its own isn't going to go the distance. I don't think that voters in 2020 want to see candidates who hang out with celebrities. They want to see no. candidates that can speak to them on a real level about concerns that they have. It's kitchen table yeah. issues. This is a, this and, is a and kitchen that, table issue That race. celebrity line is so tricky because you're absolutely right. And I don't know how to reconcile that with the fact that recognizability and celebrity when it's positive celebrity is very marketable. I think that aligning yourself with celebrities and using them to market you is a bad thing. Solely. This this campaign. I think that this Especially campaign, when done tactlessly. You want to you want to go to organizers, you want to go to people who are voices of communities yeah. and you want to talk to them and you want to talk to people, grassroots people and and in showing up in ads with celebrities is going to be more of a detriment than an asset and at I this point. And I think endorsements would have to feel sincere and rationalized because I could see let's say Beyonce comes out in favor of X candidate and she Beto she came out in for, she came out for Beto did and, she really yeah in, the, oh. in his race with Cruz I see yeah. well yeah fair enough that was an easier feel the day of the election oh <laughs> yeah so, it wasn't as it wasn't as helpful she's but. used to advertising album releases when that is effective but not for elections <laughs> Beto will say uh he had a nice post hardcore band I think he should stick to that one of his bandmates his is in the Mars Volta. I know. To He's El Paso awesome. has been fantastic. And He's a I bitch think, in front man. I think he should go run against the Republican in that district. Like, I think he should be, yeah. Go in, back to his hometown. In the House, maybe a state he would, he would kick ass. He would kick ass if he ran against awesome. Warren in that district right now. Okay, so. So Warren, I boy, it's so hard. Well, I'll just say before we, we depart from the old white men front runners that Again, like I said of everybody in this field, I don't have any significantly large bone to pick with any of them because generally our our focus is is on hair splitting right now. But between the two of them, there are just better options who have not recently compromised the rights of groups that I care about or I'm a okay. member of. And, and that's so, compl- I think that's, you know, that's a completely fair criticism. And especially kind of Looking at things in a relative sense, that, and I hate moral relativism in its extreme, but I also hate moral absolutism in its extreme. So you don't want... extremes in this room. Yes, we do. But sometimes... Everything in moderation, including moderation. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that to compromise too much is bad, to require perfection is bad. But to me, things like whether women are people and can exercise control and are telling the truth when they accuse somebody of sexual assault when all evidence is suggesting that they are, that's very strong on the equal protection side rather than, like, policy differences. So those things, to me, take higher precedence than how we're going to execute minor differences. And I will say this, you know, when it comes down to it, uh, I would... It it would be really cool to vote for a woman in 2020, however... I love it. I... 
identity politics has done us dirty so many times. Will I happily vote for a quote-unquote old white man if yeah. I agree with his policies? Absolutely. Oh, I, and that's why I, I say this with the qualification that I will vote for whoever wins because they're all you know, shades of good for me. But I think to discredit identity as a factor, and it's often done by the old white dudes saying that, oh, well, we should look at other things, but they're not the ones who are affected if segregation is instated, if women can't control their own bodies. Right, they don't have a lot on the line. Yeah, yeah. your horse isn't in this race, and so to write it off is bold. So to talk best. about someone who does have some stuff on the line. She got that horse in the race. I wanted to talk about this Quinnipiac poll. Because this was one of the this is one of the polls that was used in the clear real clear politics roundup. We're talking Liz. We're talking Liz. But we don't have feelings about her. We're not saying anything. Neither of us have any feelings. We're neutral. Senator Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, baby. This is this, I'm reading straight from the Quinnipiac poll here. Senator Elizabeth Warren is the big winner in the second round of Democratic presiden- presidential debates. Former Vice President Joseph Biden. They go full name there. He is Joseph. Retains his frontrunner status with 32% of Democrats and independent voters who lean Democrat, according to a Quinnipiac University national poll yesterday. But Elizabeth Warren has 21% among Dem- Democrats, 14% for Senator Bernie Sanders, and 7% for Senator Kamala Harris. So even though Biden is still much further up in the polls than any of the other candidates, Warren jumped after the debates, and I wanted to point out that in a one of the questions in the poll... Brooke and I were talking about this before because we did watch the debates together. We feel like the reason that she did well was a substantive reason. It was because she knew her policy. It was because she showed her passion and electability in that sense, and that she knew her stuff, and she conveyed it clearly, and did so without getting nasty, but without being a pushover. But that moment when John Delaney was being <laughs> wishy-washy, and she said, "If some, I'm paraphrasing, but she said, Why bother? If you're going to run for president and not have a strong stance on something, like, why bother running? Yeah, she said, I, it amazes me that somebody would run for president and not have a strong position and then somebody edited his wiki within hours and was like known for getting murdered on this date <laughs> so Warren in, in a question in the poll they said regardless of who you will vote for or plan to vote for which candidate do you think did the best job in the recent debates Warren won at 28% Biden was behind her at 15 and that's factoring in both debates, which is it's significant, and it shows consistency, too. So you add No, that. absolutely. And when it was asked who did the worst job, Biden was the highest at 9%. So 15% may to have be thought fair, he did best, but 9% thought he did worst. He so. is the target. I mean, he... And I did notice this particularly in the last one. Every They were trying to pick fights all over the place. They're like, so, uh... Mayor Pete, do you want to punch Elizabeth Warren in the face? Oh my God! Well, and they're I like, well, no, I don't, not really. Um, in this last one, especially, there were so many. Uh, they were really trying to pit Warren and, and Bernie against each they other. They were pitting Warren because and Bernie. They have very similar right policies and in many ways. Fair enough, but the aggression—it was such projecting of aggression. And I remember one moment, particularly with Pete and Beto. And yes, I'm on first name bases with all of them. But it was essentially, Mayor Pete, you want to decriminalize border crossings. And he said something like, yes, I do. Um, I mean, 
I want to narrow it so that fraud is the only factor, and obviously fraud would be something that would be criminal. And then they're like, Beto, you don't want to decriminalize it. Fight. And Beto's like, well, I I don't want to, but I also want to remove all these factors, so basically it really would only be fraud that is criminal still. And so they basically believe the same thing in different words, right. but the moderators were like, so you guys want to I mean, they have to get ratings. Out. They want to get those TV hits. But I actually, I loved, I loved Pete's answer to that question because yes. the way that they were asking questions was pigeonholing these candidates and uh, I Mayor guess Pete did throw that off. Time. Yeah, I think honestly I felt in that context like they both did relatively well at not opposing one another and who knows how far that will take them in a opinion-based reviews, but I liked it. So obviously, like, Warren is is moving up in the polls. She's doing pretty well. She's right behind Sanders. She's third in polls right now, which is amazing because when she first started running, she was not polling well at all. She has built her way up and the as one I'm thing sure that, she has since day one. So many of Warren's policies mirror Bernie's in, in many tangible ways. She is very pro Medicare for all. She is she talks about class and I think I don't think that someone can win the Democratic primary without discussing class in 2020. No. I really don't think they can. It is such a huge issue for so many people. Uh, so many people are frustrated by the system that they live in right now, and they want to talk about how we can deal with corruption, which is a huge pivotal Frankly, point of Warren's campaign. I don't think anybody could win either party right now, and the irony is is the practicality of the solutions on both sides, but it's such a universal issue that nobody could pretend to not care about it. So Warren, uh, actually, she's taught at Harvard. She was a, a law professor there. And one thing that kind of sets Warren apart from a lot of the other candidates is that she has been in politics since, I think, about 2012. She has not been in politics for a long time. She was a teacher for a long time. She's a perfect poster. So, I mean, not perfect, a super neutral term of a poster child. She is a neutral poster child. She couldn't afford to go to college and put herself through a like commuter college which is akin to a community college because which as she, someone who went to a community college because I couldn't afford a, even a state college at the time and then uh, chose not to finish college because it was so expensive I yeah. understand that and I think more people should choose that yeah and it well it should be an option too like there should be feasible options that people can choose and I she does also draw the distinction that when she went it was $50 which is yeah. no longer the and case. she <laughs> made it through on a waitressing job but I did not realize that she had a two-year-old when she went to law school yeah when she when she got into which law I school she was a stay-at-home mom oh, and she grief. had she had a two-year-old. My father, who, whom I loved very, very much, he went back to school. He was a carpenter for 20 years. I love him. I love him. I love my dad. But he uh, he was a carpenter. Uh, he worked in construction for decades and, and was in and out of a couple other jobs, but mostly construction. He loved it. And then he realized he couldn't do it for the rest of his life. Went back to law school with four kids That's at amazing. 45 and did it. And I don't know how. Yeah. And he was working part-time while he was in law school. And he and he did it. And I am so proud of him. And I, when I see stories like that of That's people with kids. That's a huge undertaking. Oh, my God. To go back to school like that when you have a kid is, is amazing. So she went back to school. She got her law degree. While she was at Harvard, she was a recognized expert in bankruptcy law. Yeah, so that's important for the middle class preaching. And, and it informed a lot of her later views so uh, one of the huge reasons why she talks about corruption so much is that her understanding of how banks work how big banking mm-hmm. works and why she talks so much about big banking is informed by uh, her she dedication to bankruptcy loopholes. law yeah Absolutely. she knows exactly how to navigate it and where the the frailties are and i think that 
you know, she's done both, she's done the legal side, and so she knows where the weaknesses are and how to bolster the strengths and how to reform things. She's also done the political side. I mean, she's been a senator for how many terms now? She's been around at least since I lived in the Northeast, which is going on 10 years now. No, absolutely. And I think that one thing that I like about her is that she's not a been a career politician her whole life she has experience in other places but she is experienced and like, i think politician is her is almost her avocation no, she, yeah like she's not a career politician because she has all these other things that she's done so well at and i think that the time spent in office is just one facet to like career politician as a capital yeah. c capital p and she has been working as a teacher, as a professor for this time, and she's been doing grassroots stuff. One of the things, so one, one of the things that differentiates her from uh, Bernie a little bit is that even though they both talk about about class and and corruption and the one percent, her focus is much more on how how wealth translates into power and how much mm-hmm. you know big corporations, big banking, big pharma is tied into the government, which is a concern that I have all the time and why I think that even though again as I said before, even though I, I believe in in the beauty of free markets, where we've gotten to this point is a very sick market. It has been tainted by the government being susceptible to the power of money and I think that she talks about that a lot and it permeates a lot of her policy views it absolutely does she has I remember in the first debate just the smile that spread across her face when somebody asked her if she had like a policy proposition for something unrelated to the main financial reform and education and healthcare access that she really even though those are such relatable issues and that she can speak on them in a way that's akin to Bernie's platform I think she goes just as deep and deeper on other issues in a way that is coherent and absolutely these main issues and I feel confident in her knowing foreign policy I feel confident in her knowing immigration law and how to reform that I feel confident in her knowing how to navigate the Supreme Court and legislation in ways that other people for whom these are pet issues and the soundbite that they want to focus on, still waters run deep mm-hmm. for her. Well, and I, I think one of the the important factors that most people overlook is that she is one of the most, if not the, she is one of the most competent oh, candidates. Yeah. Um, and without the lack of sincerity. Policy, absolutely. Her focus on policy, her ability to tap into academics and, and leaders in tech and leaders in healthcare and and and. and turn out these policies is is based in her work ethic and her competency. I will actually bring out my biggest criticism of Warren, which is I do not like her very protectionist trade policies. She Mm. talked about it a little bit during the debate. They almost mirror Trump's, and I don't think people really understand that, but her emphasis on protectionism means that I think that she would use tariffs, could possibly uh, shut down trade to other countries. That is like my biggest pet peeve with her is her anti-free trade policies. The funny thing about foreign policy and trade obviously falls into that because it's international relations in a form that probably most affects local markets, is that the variation margin is so small between candidates. And I remember this last time when it was you know Bernie versus Hillary and then both of them opposed to Trump even for things like defense strategy 
the differences were so minute and they they were so unhashed out because people don't understand that and it's not going to be the priority issue that that is in you know the clips that are aired on the news or that is right. addressed in the debates but essentially the differences were in detail and complexity of somebody's actual strategy and that's where I did feel that Hillary went a lot deeper but it, I mean Hillary was, had experience as secretary of state right. so she had a lot more knowledge of foreign issues but in terms of the variation between people I don't even know that that we know how much people vary and when you say something like protectionist without somebody prying into it in a journalistic sense or in on a debate stage Mm -hmm. I don't know what that means because I would hesitate to think that she would be pro-tariffs in the sense that Trump has been pro-tariffs well Trump's use of tariffs tariffs is so ignorant and that's the thing is he throws tariffs around because he thinks they're a powerful tool so that inherently would be different because I feel like she would not be so flippant in general, and probably would know how to navigate better. So I feel safer. She's much more diplomatic. More. Yeah. yeah, and and it again. I, this is not. This is not to say that this is the the thing that sinks her ship. I think a lot of her her voters probably wouldn't even care about this. But uh, yeah, for because we're talking about the pros and cons of each <laughs> yeah, candidate. Yeah, and and I'll throw this in there that has been more assuaged with the debates, which. Um, to me, address the issue of likability, electability, which is this very um, variable term Mm -hmm. that I think is very gendered and very based in just, like, how many times you say it about somebody. But my concern with Warren, especially with that whole Pocahontas bullshit, and that is, Mm. I will say that this was a drawback for her that luckily I think is too distant now to be a concern. I don't know why she did that DNA test thing. I think... I can't imagine that she had anything but good intentions, but I don't get it. I think that the intentions with the DNA test was to come clean about it and be fully transparent before she really dug her teeth into the campaign. And I will say and it kind of worked because it was it was removed enough. It was overwhelmed by her policy. And I will say this. As someone who, as far as I know, I, I don't... I, as someone who is a white girl, <laughs> I... Have I understand where she's coming from to an extent because so many of us I heard the same like oh yeah we have, me too. you know Cherokee blood or whatever yep. and no matter how diluted that was it was that was the family lore and I think that she absolutely messed up by I don't know why she did putting it on thing. her I don't I think but she maybe it was up a full when she put it thing. I think she messed up when she put it on her trans like when she when she put on her application and to that's Harvard. So tough because I like I didn't Because she do she anything said of that, that caliber, she was, but you look that far back. Think especially that we're growing up with social media that our yeah. generation will have a lot more recorded. It's it's a bold position to be casting. Oh my stones I can't from. even imagine what my kids are gonna find on my old like good way back machine Twitter. At least account. it's mostly self clothing so at least that's not as damning yeah but how am I going to tell my kids about self-confidence when all I talked about was how much I want to curl up in a ball in do my bedroom do as I say not as I do mommy wanted I to die so. but <laughs> mommy wanted to die but you don't have to kiddos but so I'll say that my big concern was likability with her and, and it connects back to the vulnerability of that position and Trump being such a bully but seeing how much her passion comes across in a way that is not insincere and you know being a woman who 
went to law school and is so policy obsessed in a way that gets wonky and unrelatable and cold sometimes, especially with the gendered aspect. I related to Hillary in the features that a lot of people disliked. So not only did I not dislike them, but I happened to feel like I shared them. And that I felt might be something that Elizabeth Warren shared, being another woman who's really, really smart and really cares and really good at what she does. But we've learned that that's not enough, apparently. The most qualified candidate lost to the least qualified, most dangerous candidate of all time. And the only difference I could see was the thing that Elizabeth Warren shared. But watching the debates, I have seen that dissipate because there's yeah. something about her that connects to people. She is... So let's just ask Elizabeth Warren, the way she connects with people is so much different than Hillary. And also, as someone who tends to be anti-establishment a lot just because I, I see so much corruption in government and in establishments. And we come um, at it from different backgrounds. Exactly. I mean, so the fact my that you concerns and I with Hillary. Oh, yeah. I mean, kind my of concerns impressive. with Hillary did lean a lot into the fact I saw a lot of establishment kind establishment of I, I had questions about her record and I had questions about the Clinton Foundation and we can get yeah. more into that later on just I, I didn't see that same kind of appeal to the everyday person again yeah. with the use of celebrity it just felt like she was kind of taking working class people for granted in a way and that's what I saw with Hillary that I didn't see and that, that's fine like we have two different perspectives yeah. and that's fine and but I that's don't why see I that think it's so important that you and I come from such different backgrounds and yet our positives on Warren are the same. Right. So I'll say, we'll just recap a couple other candidates. So Buttigieg, Harris, I think, really cool. Buttigieg, Buttigieg has the same kind of drawback that I worry about, and I think for him it's probably youth, is a person who, to me, doesn't share the drawbacks that you recognize in Clinton, and I understand that. But he's very, very smart, and he does have that willingness to learn that I think is the fault in a lot of young candidates no, or, or non-politician he candidates. He doesn't have an air of arrogance about He doesn't. And we know, I mean, you look at his track record of learning Norwegian because he wanted to read a book and then responding to the, the Notre Dame fire with a comment in French. He learns and he wants to learn and that's incredibly smart that's the thing about Buttigieg is that he is also a veteran talented he's a veteran and he's not accessorizing that that, and he's gay which is awesome because any marginalized group is going to be better at protecting other marginalized groups into that I think he shares the Hillary drawback for different reasons probably youth and not a whole lot of history in using this muscle Mm -hmm. especially being that he is gay and also a veteran I mean Um, I think we should acknowledge that he's the first openly gay candidate to make it this far in a primary and to be and And he's 37 and to be be polling so well in a in a a democratic primary as a open gay candidate who has done a a a magazine photo shoot with his husband is huge and i'm sure that uh, i I want to see more of him regardless i know for a fact that that is big the lgbt community and i i appreciate that and i think just recognizing that is is good yeah and so this is the start of the story for him absolutely no matter how it ends no matter I, I don't think that I don't think he's going to be the the nominee, but at the same time, I hope that he continues to be involved in politics. Yeah. I do believe that he has a heart for people and boy, an ability, and that's where I I think that sometimes there's a disconnect. And because I think for him it's youth and probably learned habit for self preservation, which honestly probably applied to Hillary a bit too. But for things like the police issues in South Bend, which is the no, town that, that he was the mayor of, absolutely, I don't know that he adequately could communicate. And again, it, it's almost 
that it's such a nerve for me because I am very logistical and it smacks of of cold for yeah. a lot of people. No, I got when he when he talked about the demolition of housing that a lot of people saw as disrupting communities. He talked about the the call that there there was for it, this is kind of a very specific issue, but one of his questions in the town hall was you've been criticized for demolishing housing in poor communities. How mm-hmm. do you respond to that? And his response was these were attract these houses were vacant they were attracting crime and we mm. got a lot of complaints from people in those communities to do something about it right. so we tried to track down the owners we tried to track down those responsible and if we couldn't we were demolished so that they wouldn't attract and that it's crime so logical and correct i don't know that i feel he's made the leap to and maybe honestly this is a flaw with rhetorical requirements of society maybe people shouldn't be correcting for this so much but I think that he's so logical and so fact-based that if you are attuned to that and if that's what matters, you'll hear it. But if you're not and you're upset and you want to hear somebody empathizing with you, it can come across as cold. Yeah, it it can come across as cold. Yeah, the positives don't really connect. Yeah, and I think that... I maybe he'll learn, I though. did want a little more from him with his answers about the police corruption in South Bend because, again... As I've emphasized over and over again, that's a huge issue when to it comes me, down to it. it's such a new thing for him. The, yeah. The one shooting happened literally within the month. And to expect something before there's been any investigation, before there's even an official report, I don't know that that's reasonable. It's different than de Blasio, for example, with Daniel Pantaleo, the guy who shot yeah. Eric Garner. Oh, no, he, sorry. Or uh, not shot. Yeah, he, strangled him put him in what looks very much like a chokehold. It is a chokehold, and it's he a put prohibited his, He tactic. put his hand around his neck, and as Eric Gardner said that he could not breathe over and over again, continued, and then the EMTs and the police did nothing as Eric Gardner died. So, Whereas we can, I, yeah, he suffocated on, a man. I think we can easily say he suffocated duty, a man. And there's no way that selling loose cigarettes is, in New York City, an acceptable... A lot of the, a lot of the shops to it. A lot of the shops sell loose cigarettes. Oh, if you go yeah, and ask I don't for Lucy, they will give you one. But the fact that de Blasio has let this guy languish and wouldn't even give a straight answer at the debate or after the debate is very different than in but the days after somebody uses curbed language. He says, I think there'll I be justice for the Garner family. Because yeah, he wants does to say on the progressive side of it without and actually taking any action. he because he's lost them with gun court and gun court didn't fix anything. And there have been a lot of issues I like mean, that. He's but, lost the police because... He's so two-faced when he goes but out in he public. he loses everybody. He criticizes the NYPD, but then he pretends to love them when he's in the city. His best and comments are philosophical. That is the best he has to offer. But, you know, he's only good at pandering. That's so all. To, he's not even good at it. But he's all, that's all he does is that's pander. That's his best tactic. But to compare that then to the situation in South Bend, where there had not been an investigation, we didn't even know what happened. We didn't know how the person got into this situation. Right. Then there was a story about him having fired, I think he was the first black police commissioner in South Bend. It turns out he didn't fire him. He asked him to resign after finding out that the guy was under investigation by the FBI and that they were going to indict him. And again, so it goes back complex. to how he responds yes. to these things. It's hard to what explain I've seen that. from Buttigieg has been someone, like you said, is very willing to learn. He's incredibly smart. I think that he has appeal on both sides because of the veteran aspect. And even though he endorses a lot of these very progressive policies, he's reasonable. If you're a centrist or if you're a moderate Dem or even if you're just a Republican who really dislikes Trump, I can see you voting for Buttigieg. And that's why even I- his position on religion, just coming right out and saying that you cannot Listen. adopt 
something mm. like the religious moral authority when you're advocating for putting people in cages. Ben and I have talked about over this and out. because we were both raised in very religious homes and you know, as someone who can sometimes see how people are alienated from those religious communities, I have loved seeing Buttigieg talk about his faith and talk about his sexuality. Those are not at odds to him. Those are in sync, and I love that. Undercapitalized. listen to that and see someone who lovingly talks about the church and talks about his husband at the same time i think that's good for the christian it needs to happen because somehow just like patriotism religion has been co-opted by rhetoric i think since reagan because that was really an evangelical hinging point but no the right has the right thinks that it owns religion and that it owns patriotism really hurts a lot of people who feel patriotic or religious and there are so many lgbt people in the christian community that feel ostracized and so to see someone who is running for president who is openly gay and is in a loving relationship with his husband and talks about his and faith like is unimpeachable so, morally like I, how do you take issue I, so uh, i mean the the christian right is in some way I, i've seen it like eric erickson you know, who works at the resurgent talks all the time about how church is about how Buttigieg isn't a real christian because and you he's are episcopalian buddy but it's like the, your problem with him isn't that he's episcopalian are you wearing a mixed gay. fabric my friend because leviticus is the source of anti-gay and well, it's also we, don't mix yeah. fabrics we so, can talk about whatever that all day. so we talk about Buttigieg real quick let's move on to harris so i'm actually interested in this because I do not like Harris and you do like Harris. I do. So let's talk about this. Let's 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 settle in and do talk we wanna, about it. I want to say I don't like her and you don't not like her. We just amorphously recognize. Oh yeah. Maybe let's put this differently. Maybe um, I have problems with Harris. You have that I don't feel are such problems with Har- about Harris. Yeah. Is that better? Yeah, it's fine. That's fine. We're doing great. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, so you want to summarize the issue that you have with her because we probably agree on the other goods and bads right so harris is a former attorney general in california my first impression of harris was actually during um the kavanaugh hearing i think and a little before that i had seen her and my first impression of her was that she's a very outspoken and intelligent woman and then i started digging more into her background and I did not like what I found, mostly because the policy she pushed as attorney general. Do you want to focus on the truancy thing? I want to focus on the yeah, truancy thing. Just... I mean, she has had other, her opinions on sex work have been, have left me wanting her. She is a very hard on crime candidate in many ways, and she has changed her tune a little bit So recently. I'll say even as a personal thing, my opinions on sex work have changed, and I think this will dovetail with what we said before about criminal justice views from, you know, 90s to 2020-ish. But she... That was more recently than the 1990s. That was, oh, I mean, just along that span. Oh, during Yeah, during her term as Attorney General in California, one of the main policies that she pushed was criminalizing parents of kids with a pattern of truancy. So, well, she made truancy of more than X percent of the school year. So 80 to 100 days of an 180-day school year. Uh, a misdemeanor if parents did not remedy it. But what this resulted in was, and what I always think of when I think of Harris now, there was a mom of a chronically sick child who missed a lot of school, and they had a, they had an agreement with her teachers, but mm. for some reason she was still being docked as absent without reason. And the policies that were championed under Harris 
resulted in this woman being arrested, handcuffed, and taken away in front of a line of journalists who took photos of her. And so, so I, that, like, I, before we get too far off that story, first she was district attorney in San Francisco, and then attorney general of California. It was the policies that she had as DA Mm -hmm. that were repurposed when she became attorney general and that had worked in San Francisco. Under her control, there were no actual arrests of parents. She did say that there were jurisdictions that were following the law that she enacted, which made this a misdemeanor. But I think the way that she saw it and the way that she described her goal was that it was a means to an end to encourage, but she did not, in her time, arrest anybody or direct that. She did bring charges against parents. But charges are are different than jail time, you know? So we've been talking about the importance of education. She was reacting to the fact that 90% of homicide victims were people who had been truant before the third grade, and that 40% of truant incidents were in people in elementary school. And somebody dropping off at a third grade reading level, that's huge. With so many children's rights issues, the state depends upon the interests of parents to protect children, and you just don't have any resource. Beyond parents, what do children have? And education is such a short window that if parents are not enforcing this and they're not coordinating with the school, it's not the parents' interest that I care about. It's you the know? kids, but here's my problem with it. Is it really her place to bring charges against parents, or are there other social services that could be bolstered up? That requires funding, and there were other resources that they could coordinate with the parents. That's where I kind right, of where, focus where on the necessity of... Where does the, it become her place Because to she is that? the prosecutor of California. The DA, she was a prosecutor. Attorney General, she's a prosecutor. There are limits of prosecutorial positions, like sentencing maximums and minimums, You're pigeonholed by where your control starts and ends. You can't conjure money to fund these programs. While I agree that that's the best route, and it probably is essential to even making punishment schedules work, but if you are depriving your child in such a way that will fail them as life goes on, how else? If you are the law enforcement officer, and that is the means at your disposal, and this is happening... What other... How else do you punish them, then? Championing policies that increase punishment, filing charges against them. But charges are not... She never brought jail time as a punishment or a sentencing recommendation. Punishment, in a lot of cases, was referring them to social programs. There was never any prison sentence that she championed. So, to me, I think it has been made to look very extreme, but in effect... Truancy went down by something like 20%. And I guess that maybe the, the so ultimate the kids the thing kinda... that we disagree on is maybe just the role of the DA in that situation and how much input they should have on parenting. I think that yeah, I, 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 I get that. I think that there are other services that can be used to help parents. And But the DA doesn't, if, if the DA doesn't have power over that, then it's not the DA's place to I, file charges. Even if In they the sense that we use not... law enforcement for anything, though. So given... What I've heard from my judge is somebody who was the DA and is very pro-human rights. He took so much flack for not bringing enough charges. And it's an electable position. You're in such a tight spot because under what was in his purview, which is prosecuting crimes, you know, that's the start and the end of it. His only option was to not do anything. So when it had worked in San Francisco and reduced it by 15% there... 
and was addressing a problem effectively that affected children in a very drastic way, her option, I think, was to implement it in a way that was effective and within her purview. So I don't know that the outcome was so negative, but for an anecdotal story, which it, I agree that that's a shitty experience and, and not a good I, I outcome. I guess that when it comes down to it, I think that interaction with the criminal justice system for most people should be minimized and that yeah. access to social services and yeah. interaction with social services should be maximized. I so, think our end goal is the same. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think the fact that she's painted herself now as a progressive prosecutor, I think that in hindsight, I just well, don't see that as much. I think she was a progressive prosecutor that's kind of you know it's where you put the like, yeah. where do you emphasize absolutely that, those those so, words so I, no, I, I respect that i think that i think that again like our intentions are the same it's right the method, how do you get there and the what's feasible and on. how do we implement it okay but last thing we got some great input from viewers last week we Not recorded viewers. from listeners last week Listeners, viewers, they're watching. They view with their eye ears. Yeah, we got great input from listeners last week about Brexit and Boris Johnson. We recorded a little snippet, and we just wanted to share that with yeah, you so toward don't, the end here. Don't be too shaken when this jumps to a weird... Sound um, totally different. It's because it was us last week. It was weeks ago. But uh, we love you, and with that, uh, take it away, us. So during our last episode, we asked our UK listeners to send us their opinions on Brexit, and y'all came through. You guys are the best, and we were baffled at how smart our friends are. We got so many good Like, promptly comments. brilliant. I mean, so... Like, we- next morning, we had these beautiful novels uh, that taught us a lot and were witty and informed I got a handful of DMs, and then we got we got two really lovely emails, and so we're going to just read some excerpts. We can't read the whole thing because we, we got a time crunch here, but the, the first one was from Kim, and she said that she is British and lives in the UK, and, she, and one of her comments was, Brexit was sold in the back of bigotry and racism. It hinges on stopping the freedom of movement, a key component of EU membership. Essentially, it allows the citizens of the EU member states to move freely across the EU to work. This is a vital tool for so many industries, agriculture, the NHS, hospitality, the sciences, and so many more. But as is always the case, the right weaponized the policy in order to gain support. Of Boris Johnson himself, she says... He is the epitome of the Etonian opportunistic white privilege whose clown-like antics and lack of composure and regard for his words are not funny, but in fact dangerous. In 2007, when he was foreign secretary, Mr. Johnson said a British citizen... Nazanin Zaghari Ratcliffe, who is currently being held by Iranian forces under suspicion of spying, have been working in Tehran to train journalists that, oh my god, these comments have been jumped on by the Iranians to bolster the claims that she was engaged in propaganda against the regime, and she is therefore still in detention. Johnson was forced to apologize for his lack of understanding, and he was foreign secretary at the time, so because... That was his job. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Because of this idiot who constantly be so lucky? bumbles his way through everything he does, put a female journalist in Iran in danger because he couldn't keep his goddamn mouth shut. And this, I think that's probably like one anecdotal example of what of the damage that he does to millions of people, you probably can't millions of people. Just if you are in power, you can't just say the first thing that comes to your mind. And and Kim actually gave a couple more but examples. Can't you? 
linking back to U.S. politics, when Barack Obama made a comment about Brexit during his presidency, Johnson described him as part Kenyan with an ancestral dislike of Britain. I wonder where he got that rhetoric. In 2007 of Hillary Clinton in the Telegraph, he said, she's got blonde hair and pouty lips, which so far, like, that just sounds like he's describing himself. Yeah. And a steely blue stare, like a sadistic nurse in a mental hospital. Okay, that I like. What's bad about that? Kind of into it. <laughs> this is on top of comments such nice as... ratchet, baby. I don't know. This must be a British thing. Tank top bum boys? I'm going to have to ask somebody to explain that. Please wait I was going to Google it, but I thought it would be more interesting to get yeah, our listeners' perspective about what that means. Get a good boots on the ground sort of And that's a quote, so if, translation. It's, su- if it's super uh, offensive, please know that's a direct quote and I was not saying it myself. <laughs> and most recently he said women in burkas look like letterboxes. So that... That's Kim. She He's is away with words. She one. is a smart lady who sent us this seriously within a matter of hours and had so many good points I couldn't read it all. But thank you, Kim. No, we're learning so much, and we really appreciate this on the show level and honestly on a personal level too. It's great to oh, get yeah. insight from the people who know what's going on. And Lucy, same deal, an awesome email subject because she said a British person's thoughts on the B words and aren't there them. so many these days. A lot of similar themes, but she does say that Boris, they're on a first-name basis, Lucy and B, has played off the buffoon per- persona for years. He's gained notoriety outside his party for the cult of celebrity mold like Trump. Despite being a career politician, people know who he is but couldn't tell you his stance on most issues. And this sounds exactly like that quote that we read last week about him saying while he was a politician that he's a little worried he doesn't have any opinions about things but like by all means blaze forth and keep trampling everybody in your path as you bumble your way to to power and then of him running for pm she said that i think he's only stepped up now because he's in a win-win situation and i think that in terms of the campaign he absolutely was so we'll see if he actually executes it i have my suspicions and then with that to put a beautiful crown on it that I think is is sobering and telling of where we are as a global culture. Mm-hmm. She said that Brexit won in a similar way to how Trump won in 2016. The Leave campaigners had key messages which weren't factually accurate but got the attention of people who don't really engage in politics, such as immigration and freeing up money for the NHS. I also think a lot of people didn't think that if Leave won, it would actually happen, myself included. My feelings were that they would try to do various models on how to leave, but then decided it was all too costly and complex, and instead try to legislate for change within the European Parliament. And boy, if that doesn't mirror so many Trump-adjacent scenarios here. I was thinking about that as I was like... There were so many people who just thought that no matter what, Trump was never going to be president. I was like, and it's not going to happen. The policies weren't going to go through. And this will just be a fluky thing and it'll swing everything back. And honestly, I've thought it about Brexit, too. I was like, well, they're going to see so quickly how detrimental this will be, even in planning it. Yeah. And in a weird way, they have. They just are just going to go full throttle now and put a, an idiot at the head. But it, it is amazing to me how it went downhill from David Cameron to the referendum being held to Theresa May to now Boris Johnson and a potentially no deal so He's a quickly speed in, demon in dang, three yeah. years but I guess it had to be fast be it's it's also slow because this is all just like a rotting period but true no we really appreciate the insight the last thing being that I think it's really insightful to note that there are a lot of buzzword issues that that frustrate people and people care about and that's so true here too absolutely and so they'll vote along rhetoric lines and when we don't learn policy and we don't keep ourselves informed this is the kind of shit that happens 
Absolutely. Just I got a couple more Instagram messages from people in the UK that I thought were really insightful. Um, Lola said the Brexit referendum was only about racism, classism, and xenophobia. Hate crimes toward migrants, non-white people, and refugees went through the roof. So conversely, did hate crimes in general and more reported general misogyny. Boris Johnson was at the forefront of all of this as a racist, elitist, posh boy <laughs> who was vastly considered a laughingstock. The parallels between your president and our prime minister are laughable. Oh, at we're best, gross together. we're all doomed. Uh, Rory says, The whole conservative party is a dumpster fire. All we can hope for is that Brexit doesn't actually happen. Him throwing the U.S. ambassador on the bus just showed that he is only concerned about oh, getting yeah. support from Trump, not his own people. Forgot about that tying in. And he's gone now, right? That ambassador? Yeah, I believe so. Uh, Daisy said, Brexit is a xenophobia travesty, and Boris Johnson is an eaten, educated buffoon playing the long game in our increasingly undemocratic society, and will bring us 1984 status with the help of Trump if they agree on a trade deal. Oh, All yeah. one sentence, and it was such a good one, too. We'll get you there together, guys. Let's. <laughs> and Rebecca says, underneath the people-pleasing buffoonery, there is a very intelligent and intolerant man. His policies will lead to the deaths of poor, disabled, marginalized, and vulnerable people. The Conservative Party already has blood on their hands, and this will only get worse. And I want to end on Hannah, who says, this is a perfect message. Honestly, my mom's side of the family is Scottish, and if they go independent, I will be getting a Scottish pas- passport because fuck the Tories. I heard Scotland was going to vote to <laughs> another, like, nationhood vote. Yeah, if they go independent, that's what she's saying, is that she's going to get a no, Scottish but, passport. Like, they also want to definitively leave the United Kingdom. Like, they want to have another vote if this goes forward. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Because they want to get out of the United Kingdom. Yep. And there's a new... Hey, and Hannah will be on the Scottish side, it sounds like. So, yeah, again, girl. we love you guys. Thank you for responding to our message. Um, You're awesome. Alright, guys. Thank you so much for listening, and... This uh, is us in the present now, again. We're back to the present. Do you recognize us? Uh, we're gonna say goodbye to you like Marianne Williamson does, which, by the way, she mm. sucks. She thinks that you can pray AIDS away and that it's like Darth Vader in your body. I think you can cure cancer just by willing it away. Well, then I'm going to pray AIDS into you. I've lost a family member to AIDS, Marianne. What are vaccines? Okay, yeah, but we're gonna shut the fuck up and leave you Follow be now. us on Instagram and Twitter if you'd like to. DM us. We'd love to hear from you. Do I you am BKE Rogers on Twitter. I'm Brooke Angeline on Instagram. I'm MKZJ Brennan on Instagram and on Twitter. I'm Get Me Number Two A Nunnery, but not Number Two, just like the Number Two. Thank Thanks you. for the clarification. <laughs> You're welcome. All right, guys. Talk to you later. Good night and good luck. <laughs>